of all the things we do together, there's nothing quite like worshiping with you. Wow, what great worship this morning. Thank you for just entering in, worshiping our great God together. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles, we're going to look at Matthew 26, an amazing story of God's grace this morning. As we begin, you know, I've got to tell you again, I'm just so proud of this church. I'm so proud of this church and for you, uh, for how you're serving the Lord. Uh, we kicked off job partnerships this week. We started at Redeeming Light in Eatonville, uh, the church there, and just to see how many folks are, are enrolled in the class, but to see how many of you are using your God-given gifts to bless others. I want to tell you, I was just so encouraged. And Yesterday was one of those days we had opening day at Maitland Little League. It's the first time for me and Katie for a long time. We don't have one there, but I had the privilege of praying and doing invocation and just to see so many of you involved in the community. And then to see a Maitland Men's Club cooking burgers, and there's our own Butch Doyle flipping his one millionth burger, serving the community. I was just so proud. And then when I was there, uh, I had someone come up to me and tell me about one of our members who recently got promoted within Orange County Sheriff's Department. They talked about, he said, this guy's been there for a long time. He said, it's his character. Everybody trusts him. Everybody knows Matt, and everybody who knows Matt trust him. He got promoted because of his character. I'm saying, I'm so proud of hearing those things. And just to see, again, our school ministry and uh, our young men and women, our soccer team made it to the semifinals. And, but just the quality of kids that uh, we're blessed to have. There are so many exciting things. It's even Zach up here. We're not excited seeing Zach up here. God has blessed us in so many ways. So thank you. Thank you for believing the gospel. Thank you for loving God. Thank you for loving others in Jesus' name. Eric Holder. Eric Holder, maybe it's a name you don't know. Uh, he is our new attorney general. Uh, got himself in the news last week. Um, got himself in the news in a speech that he gave to the Justice Department where he called us a nation of cowards. Now, could be taken out of context. He was mostly referring to the way we have interacted with one another uh, racially. But I don't know about you, but being called a coward isn't some of the favorite language I had. In my neighborhood, being called a coward, well, them were fighting words. How about for you? Well, I can't speak for the entire nation, but... If Mr. Holder has me in mind when he wants to use coward, he might be onto something. I don't know who told him. <laughs> the truth is, there's a lot of truth to it. Who likes the phrase coward? Who wants to hide from such a moniker? Who wants to wear that as a badge? But if Holder was describing Jesus' disciples, especially before he rose again from the dead in the Pentecost, Pentecost, if Jesus' disciples were being described by Holder, certainly, cowardly, would be a perfect, fitting description. We're going to look at that reality today in God's Word, and, and hopefully by God's grace and through the power and the preaching of His Word, we will see some unbelievable truths that each and every one of us need to hear and embrace and rejoice in. You ready for this? 
God loves and God uses cowards. Did you hear me? God loves and God uses cowards. And if that is the reality that God would point to and Jesus demonstrates, we have some incredible good news. We don't have to pretend. Because He loves us as we are. And all of our broken pieces right now in Christ. And there no longer has to be a game. And I no longer, and you no longer, have to pretend to be something we're not. And I'm telling you, there is freedom in this. I'm telling you, there is joy in this. I'm telling you, there is life in this. Life in a love that God has for broken people like you and like me. Let's look at this incredible story where we see this kind of love. It's we're going to pick it up in Matthew's Gospel. It's related to us in every one of the Synoptic Gospels. But we're going to look to Matthew 26, verses 30-46. through 46. It's, uh, Let me set the stage for you. It's right before the cross. John's telling us that Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. They've enjoyed a last meal together. His earthly ministry is coming to a close. The cross, the shadow of the cross is so big on the horizon that's about all Jesus now could see. Is that all of time has led Him to this point. And now He's with His closest friends. I mean, those who had left everything to follow Him. Those who had heard all that He had to say. Those who had tasted the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. Those that were with Him that had walked on water. Those that were with Him that had seen Lazarus come back to life. Those that were with Him that had seen that woman stop bleeding after 12 years. Those that were with Him that had seen the, the, the dumb speak and the deaf hear and the blind speak, see. Those around this table those closest to Him who had seen miracle after miracle after miracle are now going to be told that you're basically cowards. But I love you. And I'm going to use you. It's amazing. Turn me your Bible to Matthew 26. We're going to read verses 30 through 46. Let's be mindful that this is God's Word. It's holy. It's set apart. It's not... Without, it has no errors. It will never lead us astray. Read this great story silently along with me. Verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, His disciples, He said, You will fall away because of Me this night. He knew it. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. He quotes Zechariah 13, verse 7. But listen to this. But after I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. Did you get it? Did you hear it? Can you believe it? He knows they're going to mess up. He knows they're going to deny He knows it. And yet he says, and by the way, I'll meet you in Galilee. Amazing premeditated grace. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you. Yeah, you're right. They're going to fall away. Though they all fall away because of you, 
I will never fail. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows, and one of the commentaries wrote, I just, I haven't seen this. He says, isn't it amazing he uses the rooster? Can't you picture a rooster strutting around, you know? Everybody else, they're going to deny me. No way. I'm going to be there. And he uses the rooster. I mean, he's going to just bring in this time frame before the rooster crows. Twice tonight. You will deny me. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter says to him, even if I must die with you, I'm your man. I will not deny you. And all the, the disciples said the same. Yeah, me too, me too. I'm with him. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, hey, sit here while I go over there and I pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to him, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. Just stay up with me. We we do this, we just stay up with me. I mean, we're going to know that he's going to sweat blood over the agony of the cross and becoming sin and separated from the Father. And just put yourself in Peter's sandals. I mean, here's this boastful man saying, if everybody else falls away, I'm your man. And here is the first challenge. Stay awake. And here you see Jesus who's so sorrowful, he's to the point of death. And Peter's got to be looking into his master's face, seeing the absolute anguish on his face, having been told you are going to deny. Don't you think he could stay awake? And going a little farther, he fell on his face, and Jesus fell on his face, prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as your will be done. Listen, we got to take a little side note here and just say, isn't it absolutely beautiful and marvelous that Jesus himself wrestled with the Father's will? That's what he came to do. I mean, he delighted in doing, doing it, but now at the cross, at the sight of the cross, he's like, oh man, the agony of it. Your Savior, Christian, knows the reality of how hard sometimes it is to follow the Father. Especially when it's painful. And he came to the disciples and he found them up praying and passionately fasting and keeping guard and praying and fasting and memorizing scripture and feeding the poor. No, they were sleeping. And he said to Peter, (laughs) so Peter, could you not watch with me for one Hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Listen, the Spirit indeed is willing, Peter. I hear you, man. I hear you. The Spirit's willing. But the flesh is weak. Okay, put yourself in Peter's sandals. What are you going to do? You got strike one on you, right? He told you he'd fall away. You haven't even started denying yet. He told you to watch and pray. 
So far you can do nothing but sleep. Again, the second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass until I drink it, and this is the drinking of God's wrath for our sin and the cross, your will be done. And again, he came back and he found them fasting and praying and feeding poor orphans. No, he found them sleeping. For their eyes were heavy. That was a long day. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. Hey, listen. Can you get a little shut-eye later on? See the hours at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And You know the story, if you're familiar with the Bible. He's going to be arrested and eventually crucified. Peter's going to deny him three times that he doesn't even know him. But he can't even stay awake. These are the disciples. These are the ones he says, I'm going to meet in Galilee. What incredible grace. Let us pray. Father, if it was up to me and I were Jesus and thank the Lord I'm not, although oftentimes I act like I am, I would have given up. I mean, your, your closest friend Peter, he couldn't even stay awake. He's going to deny you to a little girl. But God, your love and your grace is going to break his heart and you're going to build your church on his confession that you, Jesus, are the Christ. Build your church today. Father, there's a lot of cowards here that don't live out their faith the way they should, that hide the name of Jesus, that bow their head and are ashamed. There's a lot of cowards here that are closet Christians. There's a lot of cowards here like me that need to hear about premeditated grace. That need to hear about a Father who loves and a Son who rescues and a Spirit who applies. So come and speak through a broken sinner. Speak to each and every one of our hearts wherever we are. And give us the freedom to look in the mirror and know the truth about ourselves, but know how radically we're loved. And set us free. Start with me. Open up our ears to hear, our minds to understand, our hearts to embrace, and our feet to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. May all that is said and done bring you glory and bring us joy and challenge. It's in Christ's name. Amen. If you ever interviewed anybody, if you've ever had to pick a team... Maybe a little league team. Uh, if you ever had to uh, evaluate someone's talent to decide if they have what it takes, if she has what it takes to be a part of your corporate team, your teaching team, your little league team, one great trait or a great sentence I could tell you that usually proves true, it's not mine. It says this, that past performance and past character is the best indication for future performance and future character. I mean, you may look at a resume and say there's a lot of great traits here. and You may have different things uh, that you see or hear about an individual or maybe see on a ball field. But really, if you really want to know the best indicator for future performance, future character, look to the past. Because we have a hard time 
changing our true colors. It's amazing for me to think if that is the reality and Jesus knew that to be true. If you know you're a coward and you know that when things get tough, you have a tendency to run. If you find an applicant who you know that really when the things get very difficult, they bail. They start making excuses. They show up late. They call in sick. They can't be counted on. Are you hiring them? Are you using them? Or are you going to greener pastures? I tell you, the reality of this is Jesus was able to see in this most critical hour into the eyes of His disciples and not one of them proved to have enough what it takes to stand. And they ran like little girls. Some even naked. Because they had to get out and when they were grabbed onto by their clothes, Mark's Gospel tells, they'll just flee and run. Let me ask you this. If you are to pick an executive team, pick a team, you name it, pick whatever, who in the world would pick these characters that come out of the Wizard of Oz? Would anybody pick the Scarecrow? The guy had no brain. He had no brain. Who would want somebody around them with no brain? Would anybody pick the Tin Man? What did he not have? He didn't have a heart. Would anybody pick that lion? What did he not have? Courage. You know, I look in the mirror sometimes and I say to myself, do you have a brain? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? You crazy scarecrow. The way I treat others sometimes, do you have a heart? What am I doing? Crazy tin man. Look in the mirror sometimes and I want to be a roaring lion and yet I'm a cowardly lion. Where's your courage? When God chooses His family, He chooses folks like the scarecrow and the tin man and the cowardly lion to do incredible things, to be called His family, to be adopted in. So we should have really great news that produces great joy for all you cowards, all of you scarecrows, all of you tin men, all of you lions without courage. Jesus loves us. We're going to look at this amazing premeditated grace of God. He knew the truth. He knew the truth, and yet He still loved them. Jesus said to them, if you look back up in in verses 31 and 32, listen, the shepherd is going to be struck, and the sheep are going to run away. I know it, and I love you anyway. You know that? I know you're going to mess up. I know you're going to sin, and I know it, and I love you anyway. Let that sink in. That's unbelievable. That dog will hunt. That's the gospel. But really, when we look at what Jesus is saying that he's quoting is a fulfillment out of Zechariah 13.7 that should bring us incredible amazement, is two things. Who actually is striking the shepherd? And who actually is the one who gets struck? Those two amazing things. If you look in uh, Zechariah 13, verse 7, it says this, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. 
Again, as you read Zechariah, you never would have dreamed that God Himself would be the one who would do the striking. It's God the Father is the one who's doing the striking. And He's striking His own Son. He's not striking the sheep that are running away, afraid and acting like cowards and deserting His only begotten Son. He's not striking the sheep. He's striking the shepherds. The shepherd. Is that what leaders are supposed to do? Don't leaders strike the cowards? August 3rd, 1943. One of the most famous generals in World War II, George Patton, went into a field hospital to comfort and be with his troops. To look at the brokenness and loss and mourn over it. And he came up to a young private, Charles Call, who had no visible war wounds, no visible reason to be in the hospital. And he said, son, what are you doing here? Well, sir, I guess I just can't take it. It was known as battle fatigue. He was a coward. And so the strong General Patton with his pistol slaps him in the face. Not with his pistol. I just came to my mind. He had a pistol, but slaps him. (laughs) Ivory handle pistol. This is where my thoughts get in the way all the time. I had a good story going, but the truth is he slapped him. Multi-star general looks at cowardly American taking up a bed in his hospital. That's what powerful Leaders do slap cowards. You know what it would be like if that was our Father's in Heaven's attitude? You know what it would be like for us to live our lives if the Father in Heaven were a slapper of cowards? But that's not the Gospel. The Gospel is the Father is the slapper of His own righteous Son. So we could love cowards. So we should show grace and mercy and acceptance to cowards. It's amazing. It's the Father who does the striking. It's amazing. It's the Son who receives the blows. The Son, the righteous one. The one who deserves, and He's having right now, the angels praise His name, that deserves all of our worship and love and adoration. It's the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's Jesus, God in the flesh. He is the one who gets struck. He's the one who receives the Father's blow. But He does it willingly. He does it Joyfully, the writer of Hebrews says. He endures the scorn of the cross with joy. Why? Because this is why He came. He came to earth to rescue lost sheep. He came to earth to receive the Father's blows for our sins. That's why He came. Because He knew we were lost. He knew we were cowards. He knew we were broken. He knew we would run. And He came anyway. He came anyway. And there was ever one who didn't deserve the Father's blows. There's only one. His name is Jesus. He's the only one who doesn't deserve it. And He gets it. He gets it. He gets the full-on wrath of the Father for your sins and for mine. 
for all that we deserve, the death we deserve, the anger, the punishment. He takes it all. It's the Son who receives the Father's blows. Premeditated grace. I can't get over it. I'll meet you in Galilee. You're going to mess up. You're going to deny me. You're going to run. And I'll meet you when I resurrect and paid for your sins in Galilee. Let that soak in. Let that reality change your life. The Father who will strike, the Son who will receive the blows, and the Spirit who applies this grace to our hearts and creates in us a whole new person. Listen, past performance is the greatest indication of future performance. God is gracious in the past. He'll be gracious in the future. God forgives cowards in the past. He forgives cowards now. The great word about our God is He's immutable. He's unchanging. He's not giving up on you. Let it soak in. Isn't that amazing? Amazing premeditated grace. He knew the mess that we are. The mess that we would be. And He loves us anyway. Rejoice. The amazing frailty of our fleshly bravado. Trash talking. What is trash talking? Well... I'll give you a definition describing the banter that often takes place on the athletic fields. Maybe it became a vogue, the first and the greatest trash talker as far as I'm concerned, Muhammad Ali. He could float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. Man, he would say, I'm beautiful. You can't, you can't hit my face. And I tell you what, he backed it up pretty good. And I got a big dose of uh, his trash talking. I still do it even when I'm playing my 13-year-old in basketball in the driveway. I'm the biggest trash talker there ever was. Well, Peter was the Muhammad Ali of the disciples. <laughs> he was the biggest trash talker. I mean, he really was. He was the biggest trash talker. And the amazing frailty of our fleshly bravado, here's what it does. It wrongly elevates us over others. Basically, what Peter was saying is this. You know what, you know what Jesus? You, you nailed it. They're going to scatter. He's been with them for a He's throwing all 11 under the bus. You're pretty much right. I've been with these guys. These guys, are, they're losers. I mean, I'm telling you right now. And once, once they strike you, you're right. You got it dead on. They are going to scatter, but not me. And what we do is we, we elevate ourselves with this fleshly bravado, thinking that somehow we're better than others. Peter, you're not even close. Unbelievably, he wanted to elevate himself, not love his neighbors as himself. Let me ask you this. Let me tell you this. Don't ever hear a news report. Don't ever hear about another person's sin ever and think that you're above it. Ever. I don't care what it is. Don't ever have that fleshly bravado saying, not me, look at me. He couldn't even stay awake. It wrongly elevates us over others. It also does this. It wrongly elevates our own ability to do right. <laughs> Peter, Peter thought, listen, I'm going to die with you, Jesus. Me and you, I mean, we're together. I'm, I'm with you to the end. I promise you I will give my life for you. He really thought in his spirit that he would go with Jesus till the end. It elevates his own ability. How able was Jesus how, how able was Peter 
to stand by Jesus. He couldn't stay awake. He couldn't stay awake. <laughs> I mean, listen, he couldn't stay awake. I'm amazed sometimes of how infrequently I could keep my thoughts on God. I'm amazed sometimes at how quickly I could say, God, you're incredibly beautiful, and I could be sinning in my mind in the next second. I'm amazed how quickly I could love him and how quickly I could rip down his image bearers around me. Listen, if we have this fleshly bravado that we are going to not fall, we have completely missed it. And when we hear of sin, it should break our hearts and say, but by the grace of God, there go I. But by the grace of God. Not only that, it wrongly diminishes our need for grace. And listen, we can't miss this. We can't miss this. It's so incredible. We can't miss this. It wrongly diminishes our need for grace. Christianity, listen, Christianity is not about your strength. Christianity is not about your bravado. Christianity is not about your ability. Christianity is not about your righteousness. It's not about any of that. It's about God's grace and mercy to sinners like us. And if we think we could do it, we wrongly diminish the need for God's grace and strength in our lives. The gospel is this. We're cowards. We're broken. We're failures. We're we're turncoats. But he loves us anyway. And he sets us free. That's the gospel. It's not about our paper-thin righteousness and trying to bargain with God for his favor over the good things in this broken vessel. I saw this preacher on TV. I was, just, I was telling the Discovering Orangewood class that I never watch preachers on TV except for Saturday nights. And I don't know why I do that, but I sometimes flip through right before I'm about ready to go to bed and, and I watch to see who's preaching. And, and I think, man, people think like me in that light. And it scares me. And I, there was a guy last night, and he was basically just preaching on. He's saying, you know, there's this good inside you that needs to come out. It's all about your strength and finding that inner cord. It's finding that inner strength to do what you need to do. And it's all about you. And I said, that's not the message of the gospel. The gospel is you are broken. You are defeated. You are a coward, but God loves you anyway. There's premeditated grace. And then you realize just in that confession that he changes us and uses us. But you see, when we have this fleshly bravado, it diminishes the need for grace. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Lastly, the amazing freedom found in the gospel. Every Monday morning I have breakfast, well, most Monday mornings with Jim Cofield, RTS, uh, head of the counseling department out at Reformed Theological Seminary. It's great. I buy him breakfast. He gives me free counseling. And, and when we pray, um, we say, God, we're going to pray. That just, can we please become the men we pretend to be? Can we please be the men we pretend to be? Because unbelievably through this gospel, we now have the ability to be real. God, for the first time, has given us the ability to be real. Listen, Orangewood, we don't have to fake it any longer. We don't. We could truly be real. We, listen, we must be real. We must. This is how the Gospels communicate. It's communicated from the fact that we need Jesus. We need Him really bad because we're really broken. We are really sinful. It's not about our righteousness. We could be real. Truly real, no longer hiding, no longer faking, no longer even denying to ourselves how messed up we really are. You see, the gospel tells us we need Jesus. 
And now we have Him. And grace has set us free in Christ. And we can be real. We can be honest. The Gospel, the amazing freedom found in the Gospel gives us for the first time the ability to be honest. Honest with ourselves. Honest with others. Honest to say, I don't have what it takes. I fail. I often act like I have no brain. I often act like I have no heart. I often act like I have no courage, but I have Jesus. And you know what? I found that that's enough. Lastly, giving us the ability to be effective. Listen, the amazing freedom found in the Gospel gives us the ability to be effective. We miss this, but we can't. Amazingly, this is God's economy for effectiveness. How does God want us to be effective? Admit our poverty. It begins there. Look to His face and His work for His grace and strength for Christ. Listen, when Peter got this, when he got it, when he got it, it wasn't about his fleshly bravado. When he got it, it was all about Jesus and the power of the resurrection. He was unbelievable. I mean, Acts 4.13 talks about Peter's ministry after the resurrection. He was brought into the rulers. And now when they saw the boldness... <laughs> the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished at their boldness because why? They seemed like nothing. But here's what they did. They had recognized that they had been with Jesus. It all begins with a recognition of the Gospel. Here's the power that we are broken. We are uneducated. We are not enough. But we have been with Jesus. And the aroma of Christ is all over us. And now that's the effectiveness of the Gospel. That's it. They're broken sinners like you and me. Cowards. Brainless. Heartless. Can do great things empowered through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The effectiveness is found in the Gospel. Jesus said to Peter when He was restoring him three times, Do you love me? Do you love me? For those of you who, by God's grace, are lovers of Jesus, take cheer. Because God, when He gets a hold of us and we love Him back, He uses cowards like us. And what He does through the Gospel and through the power of the Holy Spirit, He gives us the mind of Christ. Brainless ones like us, we can have the mind of Christ. Heartless ones like us. He gives us a new heart. A heart of flesh that beats for Him. That's the Gospel. Those who've lost the courage, He gives us courage and we realize that in Christ we can do all things. I'll meet you in Galilee. I know you'll mess up, but I'll meet you in Galilee. Peter, I know the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Do you love me? Do you love me? And if you do, watch me do great things through you. Let us pray. Father, it's such an incredible story. They go beyond my ability to preach. This truth is, I mean, it's just, it's life-changing. 
that you know the truth about us, that you know that we're going to deny, that we're going to run, that we're going to stumble, and, and yet you love and you love and you love and you forgive and you forgive and you forgive in Christ because you struck the shepherd so you wouldn't have to strike us so that you can love us and bring us near in Christ because he laid his life down, Jesus did, for the sheep. And now we can live and be real and no longer hide. We can be honest because you love us and you use us. Father, may this church reflect the ministry like Peter, common folks who've just been with Jesus and everything changes. Amen.